Good morning, good morning. How are you guys doing this morning? All right, good. You guys are a little more lively today. I like it. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 8 uh, has to be my favorite chapter in the book of Nehemiah. I love how, you know, some books, I don't know, for me, I read a lot of books where it's like really good up front and then it just kind of wanes off. It kind of just like, oh, like I don't really need to finish this book. Nehemiah is not that way. Nehemiah chapter 8 is really when things start to get uh, really started. And I'm excited this morning. Uh, the title of the message is It All Makes Sense Now. Now, I want to encourage you guys uh, to be taking notes, uh, but not to be drawing. Okay, I know a lot of you guys like drawing. Um, I know that can become just a, a very a habit when taking notes. Uh, but what we have just viewed and seen for you guys is that some of you start drawing so much that you're not getting, uh, the, giving the attention to God's word that it needs. Uh, so I don't mind like a tiny bit of drawing if it like has to do with something directly tied and you're still taking notes. Uh, but when, you know, if you have this like masterpiece that should go into a museum after the study, there's probably something uh, a little bit off. So I want to encourage you to take notes. If you're like having a really hard time paying attention, I know, I know some of you guys are more like that. Then you can draw a tiny bit something as you're taking notes. Uh, but does that make sense? I want to encourage you guys with that. Uh, you shouldn't be eating like through pages of notes just because you're, you're drawing these like masterpieces. Okay, I know you guys love drawing. Do I want you guys to keep doing that. Uh, but this is a time where we're going to give attention uh, to God's word. But um, have you guys ever read a whole chapter of a book and then you look back at that chapter and have no idea what it was about? Yeah. Uh, I remember doing this so often when I was a kid. My mom always tried to get me to read. Raise your hand if your mom tries to get you to read and you don't want to. Okay. Sometimes, right? I hated reading when I was in junior high. And my mom would be like, well, just go and just read one chapter. And so I would go and read one chapter while thinking about something else. I was reading every word, um, but I had no comprehension. I have no understanding, right? And when we come to the Bible, we need to come to it with understanding and the way that we give attention. You see, the Bible is not a magic book where if you read it or recite it, then you'll have these special powers. You see, the key to the word, I like it, the key to the word is in the understanding of the book, which is where the power of God can be made manifest in your life. And so, for example, just because you're here in church and you're hearing the word doesn't mean uh, that God is able to move in your heart. Now, if you're giving what we're going to see the people started to do today, uh, giving uh, proper attention, attentiveness, actually desiring to listen to what God would speak to you, now God can begin to move. So don't for a second think because you're in church or because you read a chapter in the Bible that you're good. No, the power comes from the understanding of the word. Now, where we're at today, I want to remind you guys in Nehemiah, it's kind of split up in two different ways. And hopefully this will be a helpful, it was helpful to me. I stole this from someone. I didn't come up with these two R words. Um, but Nehemiah chapter one through six, which we already went through, really talks about the reconstruction of the walls, right? The rebuilding of the walls, Nehemiah chapter 7 through 13 is about the re-instruction of the people, the rebuilding of the spiritual life of the people. It's a very clear divide, and Nehemiah chapter 8 really gets into that spiritual side of things. You see, from these first few chapters that we looked at, the, ma the material needs for the city were met, but now it was time to meet the spiritual needs. And so basically, Nehemiah calls together a big Bible conference that the people gather together and they're focused on the word of God. If you look at the last verse in chapter seven, which we didn't exactly get to uh, last week, it says that when the seventh month came, the children of Israel were in their cities. And so we know going into chapter eight today, it is the seventh month on the Jewish calendar. Now you might say, well, what significance is in that? Well, the seventh month in the Jewish calendar would be equivalent to the month of January for you and I. It was kind of their new year. It was the mark of a new uh, time for them. It was a time of uh, recommitments. It was a time of actually celebration, but also some solemn things. On the first day of the seventh month, they would have something called the Feast of Trumpets. On the 10th day, they would have something called the Day of Atonement. Maybe you've heard of that before. That's when the high priest goes into the temple and offers sacrifices on, the, on behalf of all the people. 
And then the 15th to the 21st was a feast of tabernacles. You see, there was all these different things going on. It was a time of kind of celebration of refocusing and of refreshment. Uh, It would be equivalent to uh, what you and I would know as New Year's Day. And so just keep that in mind as we go through chapter 8. I'm going to give you the big idea up front. This is the whole, what we're going to look at today of what chapter 8, I believe, is focused on. And it's this, that a good understanding of God's word brings us to a place of thankful worship, celebratory joy, and willful obedience. That this is what a good understanding of God's uh, word brings us to. And we're going to see that for the people of Israel at this time, as they have just built the walls, this is what's going to happen as they begin to open the book, as they begin to open God's word. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and uh, Lord, we pray for your divine intervention today. Lord, we need to hear from you. Lord, that we know that this book that we hold in our hands, Lord, that there's nothing special about the physical pages, but that when your Holy Spirit comes and we give our attention to it, that you work, that you're able to speak into personal things in our life. And Lord, we don't want to just go through the motions today. We want to truly meet with you. God, our desire is to learn from you. Lord, we pray that you would encourage us and convict us and change us where we need to be changed. Lord, we invite you in this place and we're eager to learn from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, just as a foundation, I want to give you guys, whenever our passage today references the book of the law, or when it says the book, just know that in In any kind of way like that, it's simply referring to the written word of God. You see, back then, uh, it would have been the first five books of the Bible. Um, Within our application today, though, it's going to refer to the whole canon of Scripture. The New Testament wasn't in existence back then. Uh, But for our application, we can just refer to it as the word of God. So whenever you see the book or the book of the law, it's referring to God's word, the Bible. As we get into this, there's going to be three points today. Um, we're going to see, firstly, uh, how the word combined with worship. So the word and worship in verses 1 through 8. So if you have your Bibles, be sure to be in Nehemiah chapter 8, and we'll, we'll start in verse 1. The Bible says this, Now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. Then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday before the men and women and those who could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive or listening to the book of the law. So Ezra the scribe stood on a platform of wood, which they had made for the purpose, and beside him at his right hand stood Mattiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, uh, Hilkiah, and Messiah. Uh, And at his left hand, Padiah, Mishael, Milkajiah, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam. A lot of crazy names. Verse five, and Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people, and when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Then all the people answered, amen, amen, while lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hadojiah, Messiah, Kilaita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, and the Levites helped the people to understand the law. A bunch of guys went around, helped them understand. And the people stood in their place. And finally, verse 8, so they read distinctly from the book in the law of God, and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. Now, if you can remember, back when we started the book of Nehemiah, I shared with you how Ezra and Nehemiah are one continuous book 
within the Jewish Bible. If you turn back one book over from Nehemiah, it's the book of Ezra. In our Bibles, it's considered as two. But in the Jewish Bible, it's one continuous book because it it goes along the same timeline. And here, we're introduced for the first time within this book of Nehemiah, Ezra, who was a scribe and a priest. And so Ezra is someone that now comes into the picture. He was known as a scribe. A scribe is someone who copied God's word by hand. Maybe you're familiar with the New Testament who talks about the scribes and Pharisees. Scribes were actually uh, good people. Now what they became within the New Testament, uh, not so good. But Ezra was someone who, uh, this was a laborious task. I mean, it took a lot of work, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of meticulous work, meaning repetitive. And, uh, and he was one that did that. And so he also knew God's word because he copied God's word. He was also a priest, meaning he was devoted to God's work uh, for the work of the ministry. And he, though, had been in Jerusalem for about 13 to 14 years before Nehemiah had ever showed up on the scene. That's why in your Bibles, Ezra comes before the book of Nehemiah. It's actually chronological in that way, though some things in the Bible are not. And no doubt, Ezra, this whole time that Nehemiah has been building the wall and doing this work, that Ezra's been there the whole time and helping Nehemiah and and a part of the worship still. Uh, He just has not been mentioned. But here in chapter 8, Ezra is really the main star here, even more than Nehemiah. Ezra Ezra was responsible for having the temple rebuilt and returning God's people to worship. If you can remember back to our early studies, remember the, the, the Jews were in captivity. And Ezra was a part of the second return to come to Jerusalem and begin to rebuild the temple and the worship system. Now the walls weren't rebuilt. That's what Nehemiah came to do. But notice in Ezra chapter 7, verse 10, the Bible says this, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it, and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. This is the type of guy Ezra was. He was a man of the book. He was a man of the Bible. Uh, he would be someone that you could ask, hey, what verse is this in? And, and he, would, he would know the answer. That he not only just knew God's word, but he also did it. He was someone, uh, he'd be considered like what you and I would consider, you know, Pastor Jack or someone who, who has a, a high Bible knowledge, loves the Lord, and that you can go to for answers. This was Ezra, okay? And so Ezra, we see here uh, that he, he pulls out the Bible and begins to simply read it to the people. And over this point, I want you to write down five different things that the people did with the word of God, okay? Number one, they desired the word. They desired the word. We're going to see five things that the people did with God's word. If you look at verses one and two, it says, all the people gathered together as one man. It means that there was unity among the people and that they were in the open square in front of the water gate. And they ask Ezra, they desire, they say, Ezra, can you get the book of the law and bring it out? And can you read it to us? We, we want to hear it. And I want to just note something to you guys. The accessibility to God's word is a lot different back then than it is now. Right now you come to church and if you forgot your Bible at home, you can just grab one off the shelf or you can go to any store, bookstore and, and find Bibles and, and, and it's very accessible. You can go online and find a Bible. You see, it was different back then that no one had personal copies of the scriptures. It was mostly the priest's that would have access to the scriptures and they would teach the people and they would share with the people and they would explain to the people. And so this was, a, this was a more of a sacred thing. For you and I now, we can kind of take for granted how much access we have to the Bible, but uh, that's not the way it was back then and that's not the way it is around the world. But it is interesting to note that they gathered around the water gate. Do you guys see that? Look at verse one and two. It says that they gathered at the water gate. You're like, well, what, what, was there just like a waterfall there? Was there a nice fountain? Oh, we don't know. It, the purpose was probably for bringing in water to the city. Maybe they were, you know, we know that there's different springs located throughout Jerusalem. But here's the significance. And the interesting thing is that uh, water for washing in, in God's word is a picture of the word. According to Ephesians chapter five, it says that we're to wash Uh, in the water of the word. And so it's a symbol for us to kind of note to. But number one, they desired the word. They wanted to hear. They were excited in a sense to come to church and hear God's word, okay? 
Got that? You guys following? Okay, number two, uh, they listened to the word. They listened to the word. We see in verse three that Ezra reads from the book, it says, the Bible says, from morning until midday. Anyone want to take a stab out, stab at for how many hours uh, that might have been? Yes, sir. Yeah, it's about five to six hours that they came. Imagine if our study today, I'm like, okay, guys, uh, it's 10 o'clock now, uh, and uh, we'll get out about four o'clock. Does that sound good? And I'm just going to read the Bible. And this is not even the explanation of the Bible. This was simply opening up and reading it. Now, if you think uh, I have long Bible studies, uh, now that is a long Bible study. But we see, though, this whole time, though it was long, Look at the end of verse three in your Bibles. I want you to see it. It says that they were attentive to the reading. That for five to six hours, they were listening and not just listening, but they were engaged. Not like when we read that chapter of the book that our mom makes us do. Uh, that they were, they were, in a sense, they were leaning forward in their chairs. Uh, actually, they were standing, but they were leaning forward wanting to hear it. So they not only desired the word, they not only listened to the word, but they had respect for the word. For these five to six hours that uh, Ezra read, it says that he was on a wooden platform. It says that they made it, look at verse four, they made it for that very purpose, that they, that they got together this wood and they had some carpenters and they built this cool looking pulpit thing for Ezra to stand on so that he would be able to be heard more. But notice that it says that he was standing above the people. Not because Ezra deserved this position of prominence, but that what he was reading deserved elevation. Meaning it deserved a proper place above. Even notice right now, even as I'm teaching, uh, that, the, that the word that we're reading from is above you all. And that's designed for a purpose, not just for, I think, logistical reasons, meaning it, uh, you all can see me, you all can hear me uh, in this way. But I think there's a, a symbol there that, that we are to elevate God's word in that way above, above ourselves. We see here those 13 men that stood alongside uh, Ezra. So as he was teaching to his right or to his right and to his left, that he had these men with crazy names, as uh, you heard me read them, that were standing there in support of him. But they had respect for the, wood, uh, for, the, for the word. And I believe a big problem and why there is such a lack of understanding for the Bible today uh, in, in our culture is because there's a lack of reverence for the Bible. There's a lack of respect for the Bible. Uh, it's interesting, if you look at other cultures and their, their books, you know other, other religions have other books, right? Whether it's the Quran or the Book of Mormon, I know for specifically in Middle Eastern countries uh, how much respect they have for the Quran. Now, the Quran is full of uh, false claims and it is contradictory and is not God's word. Yet for these, these devout Muslims, they believe in the Quran. They believe it is God's word and they treat it as so. It's interesting. If you go to some different Middle Eastern countries, uh, they do have their own copies of the Quran. But when they walk around with it, they always carry it above their heart. And it's simply a sign of respect for that. Or when they go home, they make sure not to put their Bibles on the ground or on a bottom shelf, but it says that, or not it says, culturally, that they'll go and they'll put it in the highest place in their house. Like if you have an attic, I don't know, they go put it, they go put it on the highest shelf. And it wasn't that, and it's not that they, they believe that the book's magical, but it's what it represents. And so how much more should you and I if we truly do have the word of God, we truly do that the God of this book is real, how much more should we respect it? Not that we should you know, be worshiping and bowing down to the book, but it's what, it's who it represents. And this is something that I know has been convicted in my life. Even, uh, I wanna ask you a question, how do you treat your own Bible? How do you treat your own Bible? Is it on the ground right now? That the Bible shouldn't be something that we place on the ground. It shouldn't be something that we throw in the car. It shouldn't be something that we just throw in our room. It's because, and it's not because like we need to keep our Bibles nice, but it's because it, what it represents. That even in our own heart, in our actions towards it, we should have a respect for the word of God because this is God's communication to us. And how we treat things 
often communicates what we think of things. Does it make sense? How we treat things often communicates to us and to others of how we think of things. I would encourage you guys, uh, don't put your Bible on the ground. You know, treat it with respect. I'm not saying that you have to like carry it in this like this bubble or this case and make sure to bubble wrap it and be very careful that Bible's gen- No, it's, it's okay. Like use it, but just be cautious of that, okay? And have respect for it, not because we are to respect the book, but because we have respect for the author of the book. Does that make sense? You guys learn that? Fourthly, they worshiped the Lord of the word. If you notice in verse six, it says that Ezra blessed the Lord in front of all the people. The word blessed here means to speak verbal words of excellence about something. So after he had spoke for about five to six hours, just simply reading the word, um, it says that that he began to bless the Lord. He began to speak of how great God was. And this is what God's word should do. That as we come to, as we read it, and if it is read correctly and taught correctly, that it should exalt God. If you notice the people, they respond with amen, amen. It means that they were agreeing with what was being spoken. That when you say amen at the end of the prayer, it's, it's kind of your way to, though you didn't pray the prayer, it's your stamp to say, I agree with that prayer. It's the word, so, so be it. I, I am connected to that now. And they were saying, this is right on. And it says that they, out of this understanding and just simply the reading of the word, that it caused this worship in the people. Look at your Bibles. Look at verse six. It says that they began to lift their hands to God. And it says that then they, they bowed down before God, putting their heads to the floor in adoration and worship. That they not only desired the word, they not only listened to the word and had respect for the word, but they worshiped the Lord of the word. Fifthly, uh, they sought to understand the word. Sorry, one more thought on the, the worshiping of the Lord. It's not that they worshiped the book, right? But it's that they worshiped, remember, the author of the book. Same kind of idea. They didn't bow down to the Bible, but they bowed down to the God who wrote it. Fifthly, they sought to understand the word. See, there were others who went around the gathering and helped people to understand. And those were some of those other names that were mentioned, these, these Levites, these other people who were involved in ministry, these leaders. That after the word was spoken, it's kind of a funny picture where the word was just read But now in this gathering of thousands of people, there's these different guys going around saying, did you get that? Did you understand that? Did you have any questions about that? And and they began to help with understanding the word because that is where the power comes from. It's not simply just the reading of the word, though there is power in that, but it's understanding. I could come up here and read God's word to you in Chinese, okay? For some, most of you, you would not understand and there would be nothing fruitful about that. It wouldn't have any impact or power because you're not understanding. And for some of you, you come in here and you might think, I am speaking Chinese because you're not attentive or you're not listening and you're not engaged. And so it's like, I don't even know what he's thinking or saying. And so you're not even engaged in it. But guys, we see in verse eight, a model of how we should approach Bible teaching. Look at verse eight in your Bibles. It's very important. Notice it says they read distinctly from the word. Distinctly, it means to be made clear or to make a declaration. Notice that they read specifically from God's word, not other helpful books, but it was this, and it was in their own language. Distinctly means it was made clear to them. It wasn't in Chinese. It It was in their Hebrew tongue. It was within their ability to understand. You see, a thousand years had passed since the law was given uh, to Moses. It's been about a thousand years now, and no doubt the language had changed. Just like you guys, have you guys ever read, try to read the King James version of the Bible? It's English, barely, right? It's English, but it's like, okay, I'm not understanding because a language changes. And so it was read to them in a way where they were able to get it. They were able to understand Secondly, it says that they gave the sense of the word. The word sense here means meaning or the idea that is intended. It's the explanation or the interpretation. It's that they would read a verse and then they would begin to explain it. It's like, hey, this is what this means. This is what this looks like. And thirdly, it says that they helped to bring understanding 
of the word. It's to, to cause to know or comprehend. You guys do ever reading comprehension at school? Some of you are like, oh, reading comprehension. Don't even bring it up, right? Um, but guys, reading comprehension when it comes to the Bible is crucial and so important. It's that moment when the light bulb comes on. It's that moment where it's like, oh, I, I get it. That makes sense. You see, even with this part of understanding, it's, it's bringing the application. And this is the basis for what we do here. This is the basis where I come up and I read the word to you. And then I begin to explain the word. I give the sense. And then I help you understand. This is what it would look like in your life. This is the basis. Verse 8 is the basis for what goes on here in this pulpit and at this church. I like it. Pastor Josh, the I hope you know him. Pastor Josh, he's a newer pastor here, but he says this, truth only becomes effective when it invades our understanding. I just like the way he put that. I like the way he put that, where we might, you might be hearing truth, but it will not become effective in your life until it invades your understanding, until the truth collides with, I get it, now God is able to begin to work. It is not enough just to read or to hear the Bible, we must understand it. And if you're like me, I'm thinking, how were the people able to stand? Because if you, we didn't touch on it, but that there is such a reverence for God's word that whenever it was opened, that the people would stand. You want to try it right now? You want to stand for the rest of the, the Bible study? No, it's okay. Um, but it, it's, the, it's the idea behind it. It's that for five to six hours, they stood because they had such respect for God and his word, and they listened. But how were they able to keep the attention for so much? Well, I believe this, what J. Vernon McGee says. J. Vernon McGee is an old pastor. Uh, he, he was on the radio, and he's kind of got this Southern accent. Uh, I won't do it for you today. Uh, but J. Vernon McGee, kind of a funny last name, but he says this, Ezra believed it was the word of God and read it like it was the word of God. Meaning that when you come with the seriousness and the belief, like, no, this is actually God's word, then you can listen to it. Because if, if you really believe this is God speaking to you, who doesn't want to hear God speaking to them? You see, when you begin to desire and to be attentive and to respect and to seek to understand God's word, you won't want that Bible study to stop. And I've experienced this because I, I do desire after the word. And, and that's what we want so much for you. We want you to desire. We want you to be attentive. Uh, there will be filled in you with such a heart of worship that you can't help but putting your hands up. I don't put my hands up in worship because like, okay, this is like just the thing you do. This is what God wants. No, for me in those times, it's, it's when, I, when I just come to an understanding of God's word, we're singing those songs and, and God's able to do that but only if we give him the attentiveness, the intention that God is able to fill us up with a heart of worship. Does that make sense? You guys get that? Let's move on to point number two, the word and joy. Word and joy in verses nine through 12. Verses nine through 12. It says, after they, they had this understanding of God's word, it says that this happened. Look at verse nine. It says, and Nehemiah, who was the governor, we see Nehemiah gets a little shout out here, Ezra the priest and the scribe and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. They started crying within the Bible study. It says, then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So, verse 11, so the Levites quieted all the people, shh, saying, be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink, to send portions, and rejoice greatly because they understood the words that were declared to them. You say, well, what is going on here? People are starting to cry. You see, due to the reading of God's word in this way, Notice that this has not happened in a very long time for these people. Most of them have been in captivity in Babylon. It's just been a different atmosphere than, than Jerusalem used to be. 
But for the first time in a long time, God's word is open, read, and explained, and it brought conviction to the people of God. You see, what God's word does so well for us is that it shows us where we fall short. That when we come to it, it's like, oh man, I'm, I'm lacking in that area. Yep, not doing that. It's like a mirror that shows us our imperfections and shows us, okay, I, I, I still have room for growth. And as much as we read it, it really begins to read us. That there is this exposing factor. When you really understand God's word, you'll start to see yourself and not the prettiest of lights. And you're like, ah, oh, I, don't, I don't look so good there. Have you ever had a bad hair day? And you look, you, you know, or you wake up in the morning, you're like, oh, man, you might scare yourself a little bit. Sometimes God's word can ha- have that effect on us. It can feel like we're so far away from what God would desire. And for the people, it really hit home for them that they began to sorrow and, and actually physically weep. That they began to, oh man, I, I, I am messing up. And they realized that they were sinning against God with things that they were doing or, or not doing. They were repentant of their sin. As they, as they heard the word, they realized, man, I, this, is, this is not good. And they began to repent, which is a good thing. The Bible talks about sorrowful repentance, that it's a necessary thing to happen when sin is realized. When God's word is read and you feel that conviction of the Holy Spirit, our immediate reaction should be sorrow. It should be, oh no, it should be this sorrowful, though, repentance, this turning away from. Psalm chapter 30, verse five says, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And there's a balance to this, that when we are exposed by God's word and we realize, okay, we're off in this area, it should create this repentance, but we shouldn't stay in the the place of sorrow. Some people, when they realize I'm messing up and they hear God's word clearly and understand it, they can become so filled with sorrow that they just get discouraged and say, well, it's no use. There's no way I'm ever going to meet the standard. There's no way I'm ever going to get this right. And they give up. But, and that's why it's important that there should be this transition, this understanding that when we do come to God and truly repent and truly ask for confession, that God's forgiveness meets us there. And so Nehemiah and, and Ezra, they say, don't cry. They say, don't weep because this day is holy. You see, the day that was, that was, you know, that was in this month was the day of atonement. That's the, the day I shared with you about. It was that day that it was one day a year where the high priest would go into the holy of holies, the, the, the uh, middle of the temple, and that he would meet with God and he would, he would have this, this perfect lamb sacrifice, this picture of Jesus. And for that next year now, the people were covered for their sin. That it, they, they became in right relationship with God. And so Nehemiah and Ezra, they're reminding them. They say, look, as much as we want you to be repentant of your sin and sorrowful, there is reason to celebrate. Notice it's kind of weird. If you look at verse 10, it says he, that Nehemiah tells them, go eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions. You're like, what is going on? Okay, so the fat, I don't know if you guys know, but fat usually has a lot of flavor in it, okay? He is telling them to go and enjoy themselves, to feast. He says, eat the fat, meaning like, you know, we're not trying to be healthy here. Like, we're trying to celebrate. Like, Thanksgiving's coming up, you know, all the, all the goodies that are going to be there. Don't cut the fat off because you're trying to, no, no, let's celebrate. Let's have the good stuff. And he says, drink the sweet. Who doesn't like sweet drinks, right? Um, soda, things from Starbucks, sweet drinks. It just brings you joy. It's a reason for celebration or like that uh, delicious uh, apple cider that's going to be coming up for Thanksgiving. Also though, he says, send portions, be generous to those who don't have much, that there might just be this atmosphere of, everyone say, joy. joy. That there would be this atmosphere of celebration and joy. You see, there's no doubt a place for being sorrowful of sin, but if we have genuinely come to God in repentance, then we can trust that God says, I forgive you. But so often you and I, we don't trust that, that we mess up, then we come to God and we say, God, I'm so sorry. Lord, help me not to do this thing. I'm going to turn from this sin. And then, but we still feel like this, this immense amount of sorrow. If you're genuine about it, God says, okay, that's, I, you're forgiven at the cross. Let's keep going. Because I believe if you repent of your sin, but then you stay in a state of sorrow, 
that it's going to happen again and again and again. But if you let that sorrow turn into joy because of what God has done, it's going to enable you that that joy will become your strength. And that's what the Bible says here. Look at verse 9. It's a very awesome verse. The end of it says, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. I believe it is the joy of the Lord that can enable us to not sin. It is the joy of the Lord that can enable us to do his work. Uh, Notice that it is joy that comes from the Lord. There is no end to his joy. He can't run out. It is something that he gives though. Alan Redpath says this. He's a, a Bible commentator and a pastor. He's since passed away. But he says, joy is based of forgiveness, upon forgiveness. It is dependent upon obedience and it is independent of circumstance. What he's trying to communicate here is that God's joy is different than human happiness. You guys hear me? God's joy is different than human happiness. You guys know what happiness depends on? Depends on what happens. It's very easy to remember it. Happiness is based on circumstance. It's based upon what happens. But joy is based on God's forgiveness. It's dependent upon our obedience. If we're not obeying, we won't have joy. But it is independent. It's separate from situations and circumstance. Joy is not something, what I'm telling you today is not just just work up this excitement. Like I want you to leave today and just be like, woohoo, I love the word. God's so awesome. Now, if that's genuine, then sweet, that's awesome. You'd be like, man, that was good. God spoke to me and there should be this element of joy. But I believe that when you come to God's word with a true understanding, with that attentiveness, that God will impart to you joy. It's not something to be manufactured, but something that is produced. Galatians chapter five, verse 22, talks about how one of the fruits of the spirit is joy. Fruits are uh, produced meaning there's a natural process. They're not, they're not manufactured. And so joy is not something that you were to, okay, I'm going to be joyful today. I'm happy. I'm going to practice my smile. I'm going to practice, but I still feel sad. But joy is something that's imparted by the Lord, but it comes from, I think, a good understanding of the word. First John chapter one, verse four says, and these things we write to you that your joy may be full. As we come to the word, I believe when we come to it with attentiveness, we come to it and we begin to understand it. I have found for myself that this is personally true, that it brings a joy that really nothing else uh, can bring for me. No, no good amount of food or drink from Starbucks or In-N-Out hamburger. That stuff fades, but there's something that comes from understanding God's word, guys, that is just awesome. It's something that goes beyond what happens. Uh, And a good understanding of God's word should bring us this great joy. It's kind of like, you know, imagine a football game versus a church service. Meaning there's some, sometimes we can get so excited about other things, but we don't get very excited about God's word. As much as it's something that's not to be manufactured, it should be something that we, that we come to with, with an expectancy. That we, that we kind of, as much as it's produced, it also is a choice that we choose to, okay, when we, when we choose that, I'm going to listen to God's word. I'm going to try to understand it and let God speak to me. That's when joy begins to happen for the believer. God is able to give it. Warren Wearsby. Uh, Warren Wearsby is also a, a, a pastor and a, a writer of a lot of books, a lot of commentaries. He's known as uh, the pastor's pastors, uh, meaning he pastors over pastors. Kind of funny. But he just... He also passed away recently, but he said this, to the believer without joy, the will of God is punishment. But to the believer happy in the Lord, the will of God is nourishment. You see, for the person that has godly joy, God's will just seems like, oh man, that's exactly what I want to do. But today you might think, okay, I know what God wants me to do, but it just seems like punishment. It just seems like I don't want to do that. You lack God's joy, and I want to encourage you, ask him for it. He is able to give it. See, there was still work to be done in the city. They still had to finish. Remember, the outside's done, but the inside's still kind of wrecked. That houses are messed up. The population is still small, and there's still work to be done. But what was going to be the source of their strength? Nehemiah reminds them that it is going to be the joy of the Lord that is your strength. 
What's going to keep you from following the Lord, not just in junior high, but in high school and when you're an adult? I believe this is key. If you don't learn what the joy of the Lord is in your life as you come to God's word, you will not last. You will not have the strength to keep going. That when circumstances happen and things sway and tempt, when you have the joy of the Lord as your strength, it, it will make you actually want to do what God wants. And we know this is true. Even like when, when, you, when you're joyful about something, you don't mind doing it, right? If, if your parents could get you joyful about taking out the trash, then you wouldn't mind doing it. Now, of course, that might be hard, but what if they offered you something in return? Then they'd be like, oh yeah, you get $30,000 every time you take out the trash? <laughs> All of a sudden, what used to seem so bad seems like, can't wait to tra- take out the trash today. I'm gonna spend my 30 grand, and I don't know why I said 30 grand, but uh, unless your parents are that rich. But something that can at times seem like so horrible, when there is joy inserted, there is, the natural result is obedience. You see, God generally wants you to have a life full of joy. See, lasting joy is based upon a good understanding of his word. And lack of joy, if, if right now you in your life, you're like, man, I just, I have a serious lack of joy. And there's like, there's times where I'm happy. And there's times where I, I feel joyful. And, but most of the time, I just, I'm just kind of wrecked. It might be a great indication of the lack of God's word in your life. But we do see how the people respond. That they respond to this and it says that they rejoice greatly and notice the last verse, or last part of verse 12, it says, because they understood. That they are able to go and enjoy and be obedient in this way. They got it. It all started to make sense. Joy filled their hearts. That his joy was their strength. And, uh, and he, they began to just get it. And with his joy, even the difficult things in life start to seem not as bad. But if you lack in this area, um, then the Christian life will seem pretty difficult. It'll seem like a grind. But as we see the last few verses here that we saw the word and worship, we saw the word and joy, and now we see this joy turn into obedience. We see this joy turn into obedience. Look at verse 13 with me, and we'll read down to the end of the chapter. You guys good? Following? All right. The Bible says this, verse 13, now on the second day, so that was all in one day that all this was happening, a long day. Now on the second day, the heads of the fathers, house uh, of the houses of all the people, meaning the leaders, with the priests and Levites, were gathered to Ezra the scribe in order to understand the words of the Lord or the, of the law. They wanted to know more. And they found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded by Moses, that the children of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. And that they should announce and proclaim in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Go out to the mountain and bring olive branches, branches of oil trees, uh, myrtle branches, uh, palm branches, and branches of leafy trees to make booths or tents, these little huts as it is written. Then the people went out and brought them and made themselves booths, each one on the roof of his house or in their courtyards or in the courts of the house of God and in the open square of the water gate, and in the open square of the gate of Ephraim. So the whole assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and sat under the booths. For since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, until that day, the children of Israel had not done so. And there was very great gladness. Also, day by day, from the first day until the last day, he read from the book of the law of God, and they kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a sacred assembly according to the prescribed manner. Now, most of you, I would think, are going, what is going on? Something about booze and gathering branches. Um, this is day two. And as they're reading through the word this day, they're reading through, and then it comes about this part, about this commandment of the Lord, about what the Israelites call the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Tents. It was a feast that lasted for about just under a week, and there was a purpose behind it, though. You see, the Feast of Tabernacles was instituted to remind the children of Israel about that 40-year period in the wilderness. You guys remember that? 
maybe from your, your Bible knowledge, there was 40 years where the Israelites just wandered around in the desert, that they were basically homeless, and that for these certain times, for those 40 years, they would just kind of settle down, they would build these tents, they were temporary, and then God would say, okay, we're moving on. They would pack up their stuff and move on to the next place and then build their temporary tents again. And this happened for 40 years. Now, it is supposed to remind them of how God took care of them, how he provided food and water for them, how he provided water for them out of a rock, how he provided food for them from the dew, or how he provided meat for them from from the quail. And this was to remind them and for them to celebrate that God had saw them through. Imagine... Kind of the equivalent would be, okay, imagine for a week, if we had like some kind of Christian feast in this way, it was basically a celebration, where you would go in your backyard, and for a week, you would just go camping just in your backyard. And it sounds kind of fun. That was kind of what was happening. I'm sure it was fun for some of the little kids. I'm sure for some parents were like, okay, we kind of miss our house. But it reminded them. It put them in a place of God is the one providing for us. They would have flat roofs back then, and so some of them would just go on and build their little thing. And it was a fun thing for the, for the family to do, and it was a point of celebration. But what is the point of this whole thing? It's that the people went out and began to do God's word, that they started to actually do it. James chapter 1, verse 22 says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You see, they started to hear things they were supposed to be doing and they were not doing. And so instead of finding excuses of why they, sh- well, why they shouldn't be doing that, well, it's not practical. We have houses. We know that God provides. We don't need to go through this whole thing of getting branches and making these sense. This is silly. Let us just be inside and worship God. They began to take God seriously at every word he said. They just started doing it. What I want to encourage you guys today, don't deceive yourself in thinking because you are familiar with the Bible or you know John 3, 16, that you are actually doing it. You have to listen to the Holy Spirit on this. You have to listen. Okay, are you doing it? What about the things that we talked about today? Do you come to church with an attentiveness to his word? Do you pay attention when the Bible is spoken? Do you have a respect for his word? And if not, go home and start doing those things. That is what God desires from this understanding of the word. And notice last verse, they, they end things how they began, and that's with the word of God. Do you guys see the progression of this chapter? I really hope you do. This is the progression. I kind of laid it out for you. You can go to the next slide. It goes from an att- this attentiveness of the people. This is a very clear progression in this chapter, okay? It goes from this attentiveness of the people, meaning they were listening and they were engaged. Next, they began to understand the word because of the first thing they were able to understand. Third thing, because they understood what the, what the Bible was saying, they had no choice but to just put their hands up in worship, to bow before the Lord because they realized what God was doing. The fourth thing, that they, as they not just worshiped God and, and understood his word, they realized that there was things that they were off in and that they had to fix. And so they, so they had this repentance and this sorrow of sin. The fifth thing, that because of this, they didn't stay in this state of sorrow, but they began to rejoice because they realized that God forgave them. Sixth and final, this turned into willful obedience to the Lord. This is how the order works. This is how I believe the order works so clearly. This is what God does, that it starts with this understanding. It it moves, sorry, it starts with this wanting to listen. It moves this understanding and then to worship, to repentance, joy, and obedience. They're connected and intertwined. But guys, I love how simple it starts. It starts with the simple uh, desire to understand what God wants and the rest will follow. I want to put up a few questions for you to ask yourself, okay? A few questions for you to ask yourself. Number one, uh, and this might or might not be you, why am I having such a hard time obeying God? That may or may not be you. Number two, why is there such a lack of joy in my life? Number three, why don't I put effort into worship, into worshiping God? Number four, why do I not feel bad about my sin? Now, if you could answer 
if that would be like, yeah, that's a question that I have. If you can relate to any of those, I believe that usually the answer to all these questions is tied back to a lack of desire to God's word. That if you want to start, you so bad, like you just want to obey God, but week after week, you're just failing. You're just messing up. That you so desire, you want to worship God, but when you get here, you're just like, ah, I just don't want to sing. Or maybe you just have such a, just a lack of joy in your life. Maybe you're at this place, which is a very dangerous place to be, where you're like, I don't even feel bad about sinning. The fix is God's word. It's coming with a simple desire to know what it says, and God will do the rest. As you've heard it your whole lives, some of you, read the word. I'm not telling you to read the word today. I'm telling you to give attention to it, to give it its rightful place in your life. Just as they elevated God's word above themselves, let this be the authority in your life, guys, and everything falls in place. It sounds too simple, but I'm telling you, this is the key. And not that we worship the book, but because we worship the Lord of the book. Right? And so, Bethany, you can come on, come on up, our worship team. Um, and we're going to worship the Lord. We're going to close in a song of worship today so you guys can, can stand. And uh, I'll be closing in prayer. Uh, but I want to encourage you, if you, feel, if you have a, a, a lack of desire to worship, ask God to put it in you. If you have a lack of joy today, ask God to put it in you. If you have a hard time obeying him, ask him, talk to him. He, he has so much he wants to give you guys, but he, does, he can't give it to some of you because you're simply not in a place of desiring him. So you guys can stand in this pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you for this time in your word. We thank you that you've given us these directions and that, Lord, you've laid it out so clearly to us. Sometimes it seems so simple that we just, there's no way. Just, I just start to seek the Bible and these things fall into place. Yes. Lord, I pray that you would, that your joy truly would be our strength. For those of us that lack joy, would you just put that in us right now? Would you put in us a, de a desire and a joy to worship you? That it would be a natural response because we start to realize your forgiveness. The song we're about to sing right now, Lord, is, is how marvelous you are that we're amazed at your goodness. Lord, if our hearts are off in that, maybe we're not marveled by, we're not amazed by what you've done for us and who you are, would you put a very serious uh, awe in us? Would we just be in awe of you? As if we were looking over the Grand Canyon, would, we would just be amazed by the magnificence. Lord, even in this room, in a spiritual way, would we just be connected to you? And we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.